Bibles and you want to turn there, I'm going to be uh, taking some scripture out of the book of Genesis. In uh, chapter 39 is where we'll be starting out. And uh, we may jump back to chapter 37 and, and look at a couple of things there. Uh, and if you're even moderately familiar with the book of Genesis, you know this is uh, largely the focus is on Joseph at this point. And uh, I've always had a particular uh, fondness for Joseph in the Bible, you know, and I, I hesitate to say character because character would imply that he, he wasn't a real person, you know, that he was, and uh, that the things that are written here are true. Uh, but with the life of Joseph, a, a realization that I had, and it was when we, uh, a year or two ago, went through the book of Genesis, and we were talking about uh, Joseph and everything and, and, and Jacob's time with Laban. And in that and in, in getting ready, you know, for the next lesson uh, that I sit down and I realized the Lord revealed it to me that when Jacob left Laban, Laban Joseph was still really young, uh, that he didn't grow up amongst Laban's people. He didn't have that influence from those pagan gods and everything. And that basically set Joseph aside. He was the preferred son of Jacob. And uh, Joseph was a very diligent and dutiful son. And that uh, he had dreams and things like that that caused his brothers to not like him. And uh, I can tell you, uh, anybody that's ever been the, the youngest in a family group, and I know of at least two others here this morning that know what that's like, uh, that there is an element of jealousy and there is a problem occasionally uh, from the elder siblings. And Joseph, when we pick up here in chapter 39 of the book of Genesis, that the way chapter 37 ended was that Joseph was going to get killed by his own brethren. And they were talked out of it. And so then what they did was kind of the next best thing. They got rid of him made their father think that he was dead so Jacob wouldn't be out looking for him, and they sold him into slavery. And they dusted their hands off. It was a kept secret amongst the brethren from Reuben on down that they didn't talk about it, they didn't reveal it to Jacob or anything like that. Uh, and, and you know, when, when Jacob experiences this, they try to console him. And Jacob tells him that I will go down to my grave grieving for my son Joseph. And I thought how significant that was because there was an allotted time to grieve and then the grief was over. Very much different than probably what it is now. But what Jacob was saying is, I will never get over this. And in the midst of all of this, they could have told him, well, it turns out your son is alive. I mean, that's the cruelty that was in their heart. And they say that jealousy is crueler than the grave. And uh, I'd say that Joseph suffered all of this. But in the midst of every bit of this, I want you to think about this. Joseph never did anything wrong. He always spoke the truth. He always did what was expected of him. He always went the extra mile and did all things that he could to really shun the appearance of evil and to live an upright life, not only before his father, but before Almighty God. He grew up hearing the same stories about Abraham and Isaac. Uh, uh, he, he heard all of the things leading down to that, but the big difference between Joseph and his brothers was that Joseph believed on the Word of God. 
That was the significant difference. Uh, and, and you may say, uh, and I know there's an unsound doctrine floating around in the world right now that essentially says, if you become a Christian, that will solve all your problems. And that's a lie out of hell. That will not solve everybody's problems. What it will do is make things more bearable. That will give you hope in the most hopeless of times. That will give you joy when happiness is way in the rearview mirror. What it will do is it will sustain you in the places where everybody else would look around and say, you know, you might as well just quit. You might as well just give up on this whole life thing. Some people struggle all their lives. Joseph was one of those, but the reason that God trusted Joseph with that struggle was because that Joseph could bear it. And to continually look to God. And we see here in, in chapter 39 uh, that Joseph finds himself uh, in a land that's not his own. A foreigner amongst other people. It says in verse 1 of chapter 39 in the book of Genesis, And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. That his brothers took him. They seen some gypsies going by. And they said, hey, come here. We've got somebody we want to sell to you. And they said, well, we're buying. And they sold him cheap. You know, I've heard ministers speculate on it. I don't know because Joseph is kind of like another pre-incarnate uh, uh, symbolism of Jesus Christ that some say he was bought for 30 pieces of silver. I don't know, but the truth is he was somebody who was sold by his own people into slavery. He finds himself had been the son of a rich man. His father gave him that coat of many colors. And I thought about the significance of that uh, many different times. That his father gave him that particular coat so that even if he couldn't see the details, he could look and see Joseph and identify him amongst all the other people. Do you know that that's how God is by you? That He knows you better than you know yourself? That He sees you amongst all the masses of the world? That you're readily identifiable and when you're covered with the blood, you stick out like a sore thumb before Almighty God. You should stick out like a sore thumb to the world. And so Joseph now, he finds himself down in Egypt. And notice verse 2. This is prevalent in Joseph's life, and I hope it's prevalent in yours and mine. It says, verse 2, And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did prosper in his hand. You may say, well, that must be pretty good for Joseph. Everything that he did, we would call it that Midas touch. You know, where it just seems like everything just works out. Everything he does uh, uh, just turns out really well. And that sounds great, doesn't it? It sounds like, oh, uh, to be favored by this man. Verse 4 it says, And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him, and he made him overseer over his house. And all that he put uh, into his, and all he had, he put into his hand. Verse 5, And it came to pass from the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all the land that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. And he knew not aught he had, save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well favored. Wow. Big man on campus, that Joseph. That he was really doing well. Uh, uh, as we would say around here, he was born with a big auger. And he was doing all these good things. But he was still a slave. You see, it's real easy to skip over that part. That Joseph 
in the midst of slavery and servitude. I can tell you that when I have to do something I really don't want to do, my attitude is pretty sour. That you won't find me with a smile on my face and in a good mood. What you will find is me kind of grumbling and complaining to myself uh, and probably not doing the best job that I can possibly do. And I don't think I'm the only person that's like that. And I think we're all subject to that. But Joseph, I think before Paul ever wrote it down, that Joseph had an inkling of what Paul had said when he said, whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. There was a time in my life when I, things kind of soured for me on my job at Kenny Queen Hardware and I was in a bad mood. And it, I didn't hide it very well. And on the way home, I was listening to a sermon and a preacher quoted that very same scripture and referred back to Joseph here. And that changed my attitude and that tuned me up. I realized I needed to bring a good attitude to it and whatever I was doing, ever how menial that I felt that it was, I needed to do it with my all so that God may get glory out of it. And you may say, well, God just blessed everything that Joseph did, but Joseph did it. And Joseph wanted to do a good job. As a slave, he purposed in his heart, well, I'm a slave, but I'm going to be the best slave that I can be. To the point to where Potiphar looked around and said, man, everything that this guy does just turns out good. I'm going to put him in charge of everything. Now, he was still a slave. You may say, well, that, that's better, you know, being the top slave and everything. But let me tell you something. You can set out and do everything right and really serve the Lord diligently. And that doesn't mean trouble's not going to find you. You know what caused Joseph to be here? He hadn't done anything to deserve this. He'd done nothing wrong. He hadn't messed up anywhere. He hadn't wronged his brothers when he had the dream and told them that at one point they would all bow down before him. God sent him that dream. And all he did was tell the truth. Jacob rebuked him over it. But he didn't forget it. And you see, all of this led to it. And I imagine that if his brothers had seen him at this point, they'd say, how are you going to roll over us now, Joseph? You're a slave. We're a rich guy's kids. We're doing great. You can't even, you don't even get to come and go as you please. They may have looked and sneered at him and said, Yeah, where's that coat of many colors? Doing really well, aren't you there, favored child? But you see, God was with him. And I can tell you, when God blesses you, people will get jealous. People will sneer and not like the fact that you're being blessed. They'll make up excuses as to why you're doing better than them. They'll say things like, nobody's that good. And I, I would, I'll go out on a limb here and say, I'd say everybody here knows exactly what I'm talking about, that you've probably had it happen to you. That people look around and they feel like that you don't deserve the things that you have or anything like that. And I would even go as far as to say that pretty well everybody here knows that everything they have they don't deserve, but God's blessed them with it. Because the truly humble, they don't look around and say, I deserve this, I got this, I made this happen. But rather they look and say, you know, if God didn't bless me with the health and the ability to work out what I've worked out, blessed me with the job that I have, blessed me with all the things that I've got, then I wouldn't be in this situation. But I believe what Joseph was doing in this time is he was looking around saying, you know, I believe my brothers wanted to kill me, but I'm still alive. You know, the thing is, uh, in, in, in reading uh, Jonah's happenings, do you ever think about that? Jonah 
when he ran from the Lord and he got on that ship and he was out at sea and everything and they realized and they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah and everything and he told him, it's me. It's my fault that all of this is happening. He said, you're going to have to throw me overboard. And they threw him overboard and he landed in the belly of a well or a great fish if you want to split theological hairs. And he described that later as the belly of hell. But it was also salvation. He was saved from drowning because of that. And you see, sometimes we might find ourselves in the worst possible situation, but God's at work. And I believe that Joseph was able to see past his surroundings and say, you know what? I may not know God's plan. He didn't draw me a map just like He didn't draw my grandfather or great-grandfather a map. He didn't draw Abraham a map and say, now you come from Ur the Chaldee and you go here uh, and here's the journey and here's all the things that's going to happen along the way. But rather He told Abraham, go. Abraham went. Maybe He looked back at the story of Noah uh, and God told Noah, you do things exactly as I say and you're going to be saved. And Noah may have said, well, well, how long is this going to last? What's the duration? What am I going to expect? Can you describe it to me in great detail? Can you film a documentary to show me exactly how that it's going to go? I don't know about you all, but I've wanted that before in my life. I wanted God to say, alright Jeremiah, here's your plan. And have a nice big outline and milestones for me to hit. And then I would know exactly where things stand. But that's not always the way that God works. Because real faith dwells in not knowing what's going to come next, but trusting God. Trusting Him for your next meal. Trusting Him that when this heart stops beating, uh, uh, that when we go into the next life, that we're going to be okay. And what Joseph was doing here is he was trusting God. He was looking and saying, God, everything that I do, it's unto you. As a foreigner in this land, as a slave to this man, I'll do everything that I can to do it right. And of course, that means that everything went well for Joseph and nothing bad ever else happened to him after that because, you know, nothing could get any worse than being sold by his own brethren into slavery, right? There's no lower than you can, that you can sink than that. And yet, in verse 7 it says, And it came to pass... After these things, that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. Lust. She coveted Joseph. She committed sin. She looked at him. She desired him. He was a handsome young man. Worked hard all the time, so you could imagine he was fairly fit and toned up and everything. And Potiphar was off working all the time. You know, and, and, and she was a woman of needs. And there was Joseph. And he had risen to great power and she's seen the good in him. And people will do that too. They'll see the good and they'll begin to lust and to desire. And that's wrong too. People see the blessings of God and they draw the wrong conclusion. And so she comes to him. And you'll notice she doesn't ask him to. She tells him to. She commands it because remember what he is? He's a slave. An obedient slave. But verse 8 says, But he... Refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wotteth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. 
How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against Potiphar? No, wait, that's not what it says, is it? He could have looked around and said, I'm not going to betray Potiphar like that. Potiphar likes me. But Joseph had an understanding that sin wasn't against men, it's against God. Sin is an abomination before God, not before man. David understood that in the 51st Psalm when he looked around after that he had been an accessory, best case scenario, an accessory to murder, committed adultery, and he was repenting and he said, God against thee and thee alone have I sinned. That what did he acknowledge was that all sin was before God. He couldn't go back and undo the things that he did, but he knew that God was the only one that could cure him of his sin. The only one that could wash him and clean him up and make him whiter than snow. But Joseph looked around in his situation and he had every excuse to just go right ahead. And the interesting thing is, you know, it's right there. He knows that the likelihood is Potiphar would never know. He said he doesn't pay attention to anything that's going on other than the bread that's set in front of him. Everything else he's put in my hand, he's kept but one thing back. Very similar to the way it was with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. You realize that? That Adam and Eve had one rule and they couldn't keep it? I find it hilarious that our government thinks that by the passage of more laws, we will make people better. I say that too is a lie out of the devil's hell. Because people can't keep the laws that we do have. Adam and Eve, they had one rule. One job. They broke it. They lusted after it. They desired it. Joseph could have looked around and said, you know what, my ship has finally come in. Things have been pretty crummy for the last few years. And now here's a nice looking woman. I've got all this stuff basically under my control. But Joseph knew what it was to be a steward. And I tell you, if you want to learn how to be a good Christian, learn about stewardship. Because that property you have when you die, it's going to be somebody else's. You're just a steward. Everything that we own, we're stewards over it. It's not ours. It doesn't belong to us. Now it's put in our hand to take care of it and to do as we see fit. But under the guise and the guidance of God's holy word, that we should never look around and feel pride at what we have. Because you know how God feels about pride. And just to give you a synopsis, He doesn't like it. If you don't believe me, read Proverbs. If you don't believe me, read the book of Exodus, Leviticus. Both of those talk reasonably extensively about how God feels about pride and He hates it. That proud look. And you look around and the chest is thrust out and you're, well, I'm better than all of these other people. Now this guy over here might be a little better than me, but... He's probably doing stuff that he shouldn't be doing, but I'm not. Okay? Joseph was not like that. He looked around at all of his circumstances and he said, you know what? God's taking care of me. This is still a bad situation for me to be in, but I'm going to trust God. It's not easy. I'm going to trust God. She comes to him, tempts him. About the moment that you feel you're strong, that's when you need to start watching because you're ripe for a fall. It's real easy. There's an old proverb that says that he that doesn't want to fall shouldn't walk in slippery places. Joseph found himself now in a situation to where that she is after him. In verse uh, 10 it says, And it came to pass as she spake to Joseph day by day. She didn't just make a pass at him once. 
says, it came to pass she spoke to Joseph day by day that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business and there was none of the men of the house there within. And she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. There is but one thing to do when it comes to temptation. And that's to flee. It's the only instance in the Bible you're told to run away. The Bible tells you to withstand the devil and he'll flee from you. But when temptation comes along, and how do you recognize temptation? Because it's something you want. That's, that makes it tempting. If it's not something you want, then big deal. I've had students come up to me before and offer me money for X, Y, or Z. One aggravated me all day uh, Friday leading up to lunch wanting me to buy them some cheese sticks whenever I went to lunch. said, I'll, I'll, I'll get good grades in your class. And I'm like, you're supposed to do that anyway. Why, why, why would I reward you for doing what you're supposed to do? Plus, they consequently usually did get good grades. It's like, well, I'll give you double what it is. No, your money's no good with me. If I'm going to do it, I would just buy it for you before I would take from you. And they kept barking. I said, look, you have nothing to tempt me with. And I told him, I said, and it's not just a matter of me not wanting to do it, although that was a big portion of it. I said, it's a matter that if I do that for you, then everybody else is going to expect me to do it for them. And then it becomes wildly inconvenient. And I'm not a food delivery service. I'm an information delivery service. They still asked a couple more times after that because I've always found the interesting thing is the young think when you tell them no, that just means keep asking. I never taught my kids that. Usually I'd tell them, no, shut up, leave me alone. And that was good enough, but that's beside the point. But the truth is that Joseph, what we find in here, is that he said no with his absence. That she was able to bask in the fact that he wasn't there. That that spoke volumes. She thought that she could get him. She thought that it was, that it was wrong that restrained him. And it was more than that. He said, even if nobody else is around. Even if nobody would ever know. But Joseph and her and Almighty God. Potiphar would have never known. And that's really where true conviction and true morality should dwell. Is that even if you wouldn't get caught, that you still won't cross that line. You know, there are a lot of psychologists that say that everybody has their breaking point. That everybody has a point at which that they would turn around and do things that they never would do. I say that God will not allow us to be tempted beyond that which we can bear. So that psychologist, while they may be right, they're factoring out God in which that God will intervene. Put him in a situation to where that that won't happen. And I believe it was God's intervention here. You see, because Joseph left, she had his coat. You know what that tells me? She wasn't just suggesting or asking or commanding. She grabbed a hold of him and said, this is going to happen. And he bathed her in his absence. And got gone. Fled from temptation. And got away from it. And it squares with what Jesus says when He said, look, if your hand causes you to... If your hand offends you, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Man, that's hard doctrine right there. You know, a lot of people say, oh, well, you know, the, the, if somebody smacks you on the cheek, offer them also the un- other cheek. That's hard doctrine too. But I can tell you, 
cutting off an appendage to keep from sinning, that's hard doctrine. And Joseph, maybe he was intelligent enough to know this is not going to end well for me. That now that I've done this, because as they well say, hell hath no fury like that of a woman who scorned. Well, he scorned her. And notice what she does. Verse 13, it says, And it came to pass when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and was fled forth, that she called unto the men of the house and spake unto them, saying, See, he hath hath brought in an Hebrew unto us to mock us. He came in unto me to lie with me, and I cried with a loud voice. And it came to pass when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried, that he left his garment with me and fled and got him out. And she laid up his garment by her until his Lord came. Joseph had done nothing wrong here. Joseph had actually done everything right. And I can tell you, you can do your best. You can put forth every effort. You can do everything right and still fail. Still lose. And it's crummy and it's a harsh reality of life. And those of you here that are young enough to have never experienced that, let me tell you, it's a bitter pill to swallow. But know this. Success, it's not final. Failure, it's not fatal. But it's the courage to continue. That's what will really define you as a human being. And Joseph, now he's wrongly accused. His brothers hated him without a just cause. They sold him into slavery. He finds himself as a slave and a good one. Working diligently. Keeping himself upright before God. Trusting God. You know, we don't see a lot about Joseph's prayer life, but I find it very difficult to believe that Joseph could have withstood all of this without some kind of a prayer life. You know, we hear all the time about Daniel's prayer life, don't we? Morning, noon, and night, he opened his doors toward Jerusalem and began to pray. I believe Joseph knew how to pray. Talk to God. And in this, I imagine that after he left, he probably went to pray. He said, Lord, I wanted to give in to her. I wanted to do the things she wanted, but God, You've got to deliver me from this evil. I've got to get away. My resolve is eroding. Have you ever looked at this as God was delivering Joseph from temptation in this? She told a lie. People can do bad things, but God can make it turn out good. As we would say around here, people can lay up a cold snack for you. That don't mean that you're going to go hungry. He prepares a table for you in the presence of your enemies. And Joseph now it says, Potiphar no sooner cleared the door here. Of course, this is my paraphrase. It says in verse 17, And she spake unto him these words, saying, The Hebrew servant which thou hast brought unto us came in unto me to mock me. And it came to pass I lifted up my voice and cried that he left his garment with me and fled out. And it came to pass when his master heard the words of his wife, which he spake unto him, saying, After this manner did thy servant to me that his wrath was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in prison. Now, if you look in your Bible, and my thinking on this was, wow, it was like Joseph had hit rock bottom and then somebody dug a hole and threw him in it. But this was deliverance for Joseph. He was delivered from the evil of Potiphar's wife, the temptation. You ever think about it in that regard? God got Joseph away from being tempted by her. Now, you may say it's pretty crummy accommodations. It's a prison now. 
But God never quit on Joseph. No matter where Joseph found himself, God was with him. Let it be said of you that no matter where you find yourself, that God is with you. You realize that's one of the best greetings that you can offer up to somebody? The Lord be with you. In the book of Ruth, that's what Boaz would say back to his workers when he would come upon them. He would say, the Lord be with you. You know what that means? That means may you be blessed. May everything that you do turn out good. Jealousy is kind of hard to come by when you look at somebody else and you celebrate what they've done. And I learned that lesson years ago. Now, I'm still not perfect at it. But when somebody begins to tell me about something they've accomplished or anything like that, even if it's bragging, even if it's conceit, it's better for me to celebrate with them they had to look around and say, yeah, but the only reason they were able to do that was because they cheated their way into it or they, and all these other things. Or, yeah, but what's the condition of their marriage? Because they worked so hard. And I'd say everybody's prone to doing that. It's human nature. But a real good attitude and the right way of thinking is to look at things from the perspective of, I will rejoice and be glad on others' behalf. And I will want good things for them. I can tell you, and I have a list. A mental list. It's not written down anywhere. But a mental list of people that I have to regularly. People that have done me wrong. Intentionally done me wrong. It's not a long list. It's people that intentionally done me wrong. That I pray continually to God and say, Don't let me get into the realm of bitterness again with them. And to long for bad things to happen to them. You know what the funny thing is? Is I have little doubt in my mind that Joseph had ill will against Potiphar's wife. And I can back that up in Scripture. Because if we fast forward through the Scripture, and we don't have time to do that, but I'll paraphrase it for you. At a point in the future from this, while Joseph is in prison, all of a sudden in one day's time, they get Joseph out of the prison. They clean him up. Cut his hair clean his beard up or shave it or whatever they do, put him in nice clothes, wash him off because he's stunt, because he was in a prison and the conditions were not sanitary. And they bring him before Pharaoh. And by the end of that day, Joseph goes from having been a guy that you wouldn't want to touch with a 10-foot pole to being the prime minister in Egypt. The only person above him was Pharaoh. So guess who else was beneath him? The guy that throwed him in prison. Do you imagine Potiphar's wife's reaction <laughs> when Potiphar come home and said, hey, you remember that guy that uh, we used to have as a slave that um, you said tried to rape you and uh, I threw him in prison? Yeah, did he die? Uh, no, he's now second only to Pharaoh. And I hope you were telling the truth about what you did. You imagine the chill that probably went up her spine. But Joseph was too busy doing God's work to visit wrath on anybody. You don't believe me? Look at how he handled his brothers. They were literally in his hand. He had but to say the word and they would have been killed. And some say, well, he toyed with them and he tormented them. He brought them to a point of repentance. And sometimes that's necessary. But he never did any evil to them. 
He caused them to regret their decision of what they did to him, but he stood right before them. After that, he had wept because it had been so long since he had seen them. Wanted to see his younger brother Benjamin. Wanted to see his father. One of the first things that he asks them is, does my father yet live? Is he still alive? You see, Joseph never got to go back home. But he trusted God. He looked around and in the midst of slavery, he said, well, if this is where I'm at, God put me here. I'm going to work hard. In the midst of the prison, in the next chapter, because you'll notice really chapter 40 starts at verse 21 of chapter 39. Because it said, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison and whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. Verse 23, the keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand because the Lord was with him and that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. (laughs) Even in prison, Joseph rose to the top. Granted, that's like floating on the top in a septic tank, but still he was on the top. And Joseph was blessed of God, and God's blessings were obvious in Joseph's life. And yet we find that he comes upon the butler and the baker, and he sees them sad and downcast. And I imagine everybody's kind of sad and downcast in prison. But he looks at him and says, what's wrong? His knee-jerk response is to help. But now it reveals in the Scripture here that at a certain point he tells them, I've not done anything wrong. I was sold into slavery wrongly. I was put into prison falsely accused. And he tells them, he says, when you're restored, when the butler was restored, he said, when you are restored, speak to Pharaoh on my behalf. And the butler got out and promptly forgot Joseph. And for another couple of years, Joseph languished there in prison. But still, verses 21 through 23 in chapter 39, I I think still rang true. Joseph still worked hard. God was still with him. And God was getting things ready. You see, a lot of times, no matter where you're at, if you really want to be able to endure and make it to the end, you've got to look for God's will in your life. Look around and say, Am I here because I was following the Lord? Who gave Joseph the dreams that made his brothers hate him and want to sell him into slavery? I think it was God. So it's God's fault he's here. It was God's fault that he wound up as a slave. It was God's fault that he wound up uh, in prison. But it was also God's fault that he wound up as prime minister. And it was God's fault that he was able to deliver his own family and his own people because God put him in the position. Got him ready. But Joseph never lost sight of God's will working in his life, but not just in his life, but for his people. And if you don't believe me, just turn to the very end of the book of Genesis. Because when Joseph's time had come, 110 years old, if my memory serves me right, he'd seen his great-grandchildren. Lived to be 110 years old, and he looks at them and has them all gather around him. And he says, now look. He said, I'm going to die. And he said, when I die, he said, the Lord will visit you in this place. Not might be, ought to, or could. But God will visit you and bring you out. Bring you out of prison. You see, Joseph went in as a prisoner and became prime minister. The nation of Israel ends up as slaves and has to be set free. 
And Joseph told him, he said, when you leave, you go and get my bones and you carry them up from hence. Don't leave me in Egypt. Don't you leave my bones in Egypt, but you take me and bury me amongst my fathers in Canaan land. You take me there. And if you fast forward into the book of Joshua, you find they did just that. They brought his bones into Canaan land and they buried him amongst his fathers. And God fulfilled it. Now it took 400 years. God's not slack concerning His promises. And what Joseph found himself doing was trusting God even when it got him in trouble. Even when it made things more difficult. And I'll tell you, following the Lord and keeping His commandments is not easy. It's not the easiest path, but it has the best end. Now God could have set Joseph down. could have given him a dream and said, Now look, Joseph, you're going to go through some pretty crummy situations. You're going to be a slave first, then a prisoner. You're going to discover smells that nobody ever wants to discover. You're going to discover despair, the likes of which nobody else has ever seen. You know, Jonah kind of got off light compared to Joseph, if you really think about it. He just had to spend three days and three nights on a foam blubber mattress. Joseph, he probably didn't even have a bed most of the time. Lived in filth. And they said, well, was the prison really that bad? It said they had to clean him up before they brought him before Pharaoh. It was not easy. But he looked around when he seen his brothers and they come to him with empty bags looking for food. Not gold. They brought the gold that they had and they said, we'll give it all to you. Just give us enough to eat. They come to him desperate. When the famine hit, Canaan was hit hard. They were going to start starving. And they sent them to Egypt because they heard that there was food in Egypt. And Joseph meets with them, finds them brought low. But instead of seeing an opportunity for revenge, he sees an opportunity to reform them, to bring them before the Lord. Now this I'll say as a testament to Joseph, and hopefully we can use this as a template in our own lives when we try to bring somebody to the Lord. When they're down, don't kick them. Don't kick somebody while they're down. Bring God's mercy. I can't tell you how many times that I've heard stories about people saying that when they needed help from a Christian, that all the Christian brought was condemnation. It's no different than James and John when they looked at Jesus when the Samaritans said, hey, hit the bricks, Jew. We don't want you in our town. They wouldn't receive Jesus. And James and John said, Hey, Lord, you want us to call down fire like Elijah did on them? And Jesus jumped all over them. Told him, he said, You don't know what manner of spirit you're of. He said, I didn't come to kill people. Just like in John chapter 3, the world was already condemned. He came to save them. You know what Joseph had to do to kill his brothers in that situation? All he had to do was nothing. Say, no, get lost. We're not giving you any more food. He didn't have to raise a finger. Just tell him, no, I'm not giving you any food. Go starve. But rather, he dealt long with them and suffered with them. You see, the thing is, is Matthew 24, 13 haunts me. You may not have the Scripture committed to memory like I do, but it's because that it haunts me that I have it memorized where it says, they that endure until the end, the same shall be saved. That word endure 
I can tell you that every long distance run I ever set out on, it wasn't easy. And it was endurance. And the entire time I'm thinking, I can't do this. I'm worse now than I was when I was younger and stronger. In better shape. I can't do this. I can't breathe. It's too hard. And I imagine that there were times in Joseph's life when he wept himself to sleep in Potiphar's house. Missing his father and his brother. Heartbroken because of what his own brothers did to him. His mother had died when he was a boy. His father loved him dearly. And his brothers hated him. And don't think Joseph didn't know how they felt about him. But he still did what was right. And in the midst of all of this, what he found was they that endure until the end, the same shall be saved. He said, if God put me here, I will endure. The next time that adversity finds you, remember to look around and say, if God be with me, then who can stand against me? If I'm here because I'm following the Lord, then He's going to take care of me. That's where we found Joseph at. That's why that he's able to look around and say, God made a promise to Abraham. Joseph heard the story. had to have. Because God tells Abraham, right when he's changing his name to Abraham, he says that I'm going to make a great nation out of you. It's going to be, they're going to spring from your own loins. A child of the promise. And he said that at a certain point, they're going to go into a land that's not their own and they're going to dwell there for 450 years. And then I, the Lord your God, will bring them out and give them the land flowing with milk and honey. Promises it. Isaac heard the story from Abraham. Jacob heard it from Isaac. And Joseph heard it from Jacob. Now, all of Joseph's other brethren, brethren, they all heard the same story. But who believed it? Who bought in? See, that's the thing. It's not just about hearing, it's about believing. You remember that the Word of God says that a believer is a doer. Joseph did. Whenever that he was tempted to sin, he didn't sin. He looked around and he said, I'll trust God and I'll not sin against Him. It's real easy to make excuses for ourselves and say, well, you know, things weren't going so well for me and I engaged in a bunch of sinful behavior. And I'll tell you, you can get forgiveness for that. I'll go ahead and say that without hesitation. But I can tell you those that are truly trusting in the Lord they'll run out of there and leave their coat behind if they have to. They'll do whatever's necessary to endure. And that's ultimately what we're here for, is to endure until the end and be saved. To not hold lightly to the Lord's hand. To not hold His promises as though they're merely hot air. But to hold them as a certainty. Because if we don't, then I don't know why we're here this morning. If we don't trust God with everything, then why are we here? Are we willing to lose everything for His name's sake? Are we willing to trust Him in the darkest hour of the worst moment of our lives? And of course, I say that as somebody who has chronic anxiety. Stand up here in front of you to the point to where that there have been times in my life when it seemed like the easiest thing to do was to kill myself. But God bore along with me when I despaired of life. He took care of me. It's enduring to the end. 
trusting Him all the way. Joseph never lost hope. And he trusted in God. And I hope that we can do the same. Let's everyone stand.